All right. All right. Okay. So um, we have the great privilege of being back after uh, our first daughter was born on the eastern shore of Maryland. We came back here for a few weeks and uh, were able to visit. And we, we came back once since then when we had two kids. So it's so great to see some familiar faces and a lot of new faces just as a testimony that God is still working here at Faith Christian Fellowship. And uh, we are so grateful to be here and be a part of that at the start of Holy Week. Uh, I want to share a quick story before we read the text from Isaiah 64. And when I preached this a few weeks ago, a few months ago at our church in Chicago, Living Hope, I was feeling a little discouraged that week, as often might be the case. And I'm always looking for signs from the Word or from what God's doing around me to try to cheer me up and encourage me. And um, this was a great passage to preach from that week because it's a prayer for revival. It's a prayer of the prophet Isaiah um, predicting the fall of Jerusalem, the burning of the temple there in Israel where God's people would meet. And so it's a prayer. The whole chapter is a cry for God to revive his people, to bring them back to life and to restore the beauty of the place that they love. And so it was a cry of mine in my heart that God would keep restoring lives in our church and he would build the church stronger and fill it with more of his spirit and power so that we might be witnesses. So as we look at this, I just want to tell you something that I'm not going to do today that I did at our church back home. Uh, to start the service, I, I thought on Saturday night as I was preparing this message, I've got to do something drastic to get these people to wake up because they just seem like they're cold and they're sleeping. And so I said, what can I do, Lord, to illustrate your coming down in power as this cry of prayer asked for, and you're surprising your people with amazing and awesome things that they didn't expect. And so I said, well, I'll just repel from the ceiling. And so I kind of worked it out of my mind, looked at a couple of YouTube videos and said, I, I can't technically repel without the proper equipment from a directly vertical drop from the skylights. So the next morning I checked and there was no caulking around the skylights, unfortunately for the weathering, but for me, taking the skylight off, it was a good thing. So I, I took the skylight off, and I prepared with a couple guys in the church to hold a ladder up for me. And um, at the beginning of my sermon, I had a guy read a text, and I snuck up on the roof and dropped in on the ladder, and everything was fine until they started leaning the ladder backwards, and I began falling from 12 feet up. And thankfully, they kind of caught me, and I, I kind of fell on top of them, and it broke my fall, but everything was fine. The sermon went on, and God met with us that day in unexpected ways. So I'm not going to do that this morning. I'll spare you dropping in from anywhere. And we'll just go ahead and read the word of the Lord together as a prayer, a cry for revival, a cry for God to act on our behalf. Let's stand as we read the word of the Lord from Isaiah 64. And I'll pray as we begin. Father God, we thank you that you are the giver of life and that often we seem to drift into dead places or cold and barren places. Now we ask, Father God, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would hear our prayer, that you would revive us, your people, that you would renew our hope, bring us back from the dead or from the dreary places and give us the light and the fire of the gospel again. We pray for your Holy Spirit to descend upon us in great power and send us from this place out into this world so that we might be witnesses of our Lord, who is the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, the Lord that we are celebrating today, who entered Jerusalem on a donkey, we now pray that you would enter our midst, Lord Jesus Christ, that you would enter our hearts and compel us to go, Lord, and to be your witnesses to the ends of the earth. Lord, shake us up this morning. Shape us. Have your way with us. Put your hands upon us and mold us into your image. And for the glory of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Please remain standing as we read the word of the Lord. 
from Isaiah 64. This is our prayer, echoing the prayer of Isaiah the prophet. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains might quake at your presence as when fire kindles brushwood and the fire causes water to boil, to make your name known to your adversaries and that the nations might tremble at your presence. When you did awesome things that we did not look for, you came down, the mountains quaked at your presence. From of old no one has heard or perceived by the ear, no eye has seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. You meet with him who joyfully works righteousness. Those who remember you in your ways. Behold, you were angry and we sinned. In our sins we have been a long time and shall we be saved? We all have become like one who is unclean. All our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away. There is no one who calls upon your name, who rouses himself to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have made us melt in the hand of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. Be not so terribly angry, O Lord, and remember not iniquity forever. Behold, please look, we are all your people, your holy cities have become a wilderness. Zion has become a wilderness. Jerusalem, a desolation. Our holy and beautiful house, where our fathers praised you, has been burned by fire. And all our pleasant places have become ruins. Will you restrain yourself at these things, O Lord? Will you keep silent and afflict us so terribly? That ends Isaiah's prayer, and here is God's response. I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord stands firm forever. And this is the good news that we will now hear together. A prayer for revival, that's what this is. And I'm, I'm not going to preach a sermon so much today as just pray a prayer. Would you pray with me this sermon today? That God who can do anything, often who seems to be doing very little as you perceive it and as I might perceive it, this is a prayer that he would do the things he's done in the past. Do the things that we know that he can do. That he would revive his works of old, revive his people as he's done for many generations. It's a cry Sounds desperate, but it's a, a cry of faith as well, a cry that we still believe God is able to act for his glory in this world. It's a prayer that Isaiah cries out to God that he would rend the heavens, that rip or tear open the fabric of the sky and enter into our realm, that he would come down into our place of existence, our trials and tribulations and disappointments and doubts, that, that when he comes down, the earth would shake, that things would be upheaved, that things would be in tumult, that the earth would quake, that the mountains would melt before his face. Over and over, Lord, as we pray this prayer today, we ask that you do the same things, that you would come into our midst, that you would make us melt and tremble and make the nations tremble as we think about missions, that you would shake up people who aren't even looking for you or asking for you, who are running and hiding from your face in that cold place that was sung about just a few minutes ago and that the river would begin to flow again and rise again, and the Spirit of God would begin to descend upon His people and upon our land. 
and we'd see your grace and your mercy in a powerful way. When we pray that you would show us your face and be present over and over, Isaiah prays that here, we're asking that you would be personal with us again. We ask that you would come down as if we were to stare in each other's eyes today, making each other very uncomfortable. Some people would be very uncomfortable today if you would really come and face-to-face dwell in our midst. Some of us wouldn't want that today. Many in this world would run and flee from your presence. It would truly terrify us, and we dare not ask for that unless we were really ready to be changed, to give our lives completely to you. As Jonathan Edwards prayed long ago in our land here in America, and as he looked for revival, it came. And this is what was being described in Isaiah 64, a surprising work of God. Unexpected, awesome things that we didn't expect. This is what our prayer should be today, O Lord. That you would do something unusual, a strong dose of yourself, a face-to-face awesome, fear-evoking work that would send us to reach our neighbor and to the nations. When we looked at our skylights in our church building that I dropped from, and I thought about what the Lord promises here, it's a prayer that's answered. When Isaiah says in Isaiah 63, verse 15, would you look down from the heavens and see? Would you show us your zeal and your might, the stirring of your inner parts, your compassion, Don't hold those back from me, he's praying. And God is saying, I am doing more than looking down from heaven. I'm coming down. I'm entering. I'm breaking open, tearing open, rending the heavens and coming into your midst, my people. When my wife Shannon gets home from a ladies' night out with ladies from the church maybe or some trip that she's taken, she often calls me ahead of time and says, would you wait for me at the window? Would you open the door and make sure that I get in okay as I come up those back stairs to our house? And, and she, she has to tell me sometimes, do it like you used to do it when we were on our honeymoon. When you would rush to the door, open it up, and come and meet me in person. But now she has to remind me sometimes because I'm old and lazy. I've got four kids upstairs. And she says, I'm on my way home just a minute away. I'm close to the alley. Please, she has to tell me, come and Show me your face in the window. Open the door and be present with me as I come through the darkness. And that's what we're asking God once again. In the past, Lord, you've shown us your ways and your favor and your face. Would you just look down upon us? Would you open the door of heaven and show us that you're with us, that you care for us, that you're protecting us and carrying us through the nights? It's so hard sometimes, the doubts that we have. Malachi 3 says in verse 10, that last book of the Old Testament, God says to his people, if you just simply bring out the tithe, if you just do the basics, the minimum, obey me, trust me, then what I will do is I'll open up the floodgates of heaven and I'll pour out blessing on you until you need no more. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour down blessing. See, the promise precedes the command. The grace comes first. He says, trust me, if you just do that simple act of obedience... Put your money in the plate. Open your mouth and tell your neighbor about me. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Raise your children faithfully. If you just trust me, be honest at the job. Don't cheat on your taxes. All these little things. Have a heart of love and be sincere and not just pretending that you love someone. Then I will pour out more than you can handle. I will open up the doors of heaven. I'll open the windows, the floodgates, and I will rush in to save and to satisfy you. What he's saying is, Lord, 
what we need to say this morning. Would you please come down like fire from heaven and burn us up like an offering? Kindle us like brushwood, he says in verse 2. Come down and like a campfire, cause the water and the pot to boil over with heat. It's, it's a catalytic reaction. It's a conversion. Something's happening and changing in nature when fire touches the fuel and lights and ignites something that then begins to expend itself and release energy and heat and light. And then the water's boiling and things happen. And that's what we're saying is, God, would you pour out your personal presence into our lives and change us? Cause us to have zeal and energy for the gospel, for the mission you've called us to. Let your presence change things. And this often happens in not dramatic ways, but in personal and small, um, inconsequential ways, we might even think. In our own church, when I've seen God's face most showing is sometimes in the face of the people around me that he's changing. And I might pray for fire, and I might pray for the rushing in of the Spirit and revival, but it's often over years, patiently, as we wait and pray and keep working, keep digging in the soil and planting those seeds as we watch on the video, God is refreshing the land that's dry and barren. And through people, discipling other people, face to face, we begin to see God's face at work, God's power at work. It's the image of God in us that we see changing and growing more to the image of Jesus that shows us that God is reviving his people. In our own church, there's a lady named Maria who started coming the first day we met in our new building, which is an old pool hall that we renovated. It's in the neighborhood right on the main thoroughfare, and she showed up the first Sunday, and she laughed at my jokes, which was great. Not everybody does that, but the problem was she was laughing at the inappropriate places in my, jo- in my sermon. Like, I would tell a sad story about some, someone that had been shot in the neighborhood, and she would start laughing, and it surprises visitors, and we're kind of used to it now, but she's not always lucid, and she's a little confused sometimes, but when you get to talk to Maria about her past and her children, her life experiences, she becomes very clear, and it's very sad. But she comes every week faithfully to the services and to worship. And we recently gave her a job as the kitchen manager because we eat lunch every Sunday at Living Hope. We have a small congregation of no more than 80 to 90 people on any given Sunday at the most. And she helps to organize the kitchen at the end of the week to tidy things back up. And there was a young, uh, an older man actually that came into the, the building this week for some counseling and some help with one of our ministries. And he saw Maria in the kitchen and he said, what have you done with her? I don't recognize her. I've known her for so long on the streets. She's changed. Look at her face. What have you done with her? I want some of that, he said. And he's a guy that visits the church occasionally. He said, I need to stick around here more. He's a very sad man. He's he's been addicted to various things over the years, and he's trying and struggling. And as he sat down with someone for a couple hours at the church, as I passed through when he was about to leave, he said, I feel human again today. And look at her. She looks human again. The image of God being restored. The image of God, the face of God, seen in the face of a brother or sister. That's what God is doing. And that's what we're praying is, Lord, would you use us face-to-face with each other, life-on-life, loving people simply. I can't change her. Many of my prayers for this woman, this sister, have have been, I'm not sure if, if she'll struggle like this for the rest of her life. But just let us be faithful and see her in our midst and changing little by little. We'll be there till the end when she's completely, radically changed fit for the new heavens and new earth. But in the meanwhile, Lord, show us your face. Show us your hand. Show us your power. Show us your spirit. Come down and change us, your people. And God, we're so glad when you do that. We're so glad that you've shown us in the past that through your son, you have entered the world. Because wasn't it when John the Baptist was baptizing, 
when we saw that stranger walking along with the prophet, who is that man? That we then experience the baptism of love and renewal ourselves. When we see Jesus at the baptism, when John says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but one is coming greater than me who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. That's something we can't do. We can only pray for it and ask for revival. We can lay the foundation, like John said, I'm laying a foundation of repentance. I'm telling you what the God, the God of love requires and the God of grace commands of his people. But I can't bring the grace. I can't bring the change. I can't bring the fire. But he says, I'm going to set it out there. I'm going to show you what to do. You follow me into the water. I'll baptize you. You begin to follow the law of God, justice, mercy to those in need. And then the Spirit will come upon the sacrifice, upon the offering, upon the tithe, upon the obedience, upon the faithfulness. And it was in Mark's gospel, Lord, that you, through the Spirit, recorded the very same word as you did here in Isaiah 64, which in the Greek translation of Isaiah 64 says you tore the heavens open, you have done it in the past, now again tear the heavens. You did that in Mark's gospel. When Jesus came into the water with John to be baptized, it says you tore open the heavens and sent down the Spirit like a dove and filled your son and spoke those words over him. My son, my boy, whom I love, now you go into the wilderness. Face that tempter, face Satan, face the evil of the world and conquer it. Save the world in my power, my son. And he looks upon us. Father, look upon us, we pray. In the same way, rend the heavens and descend upon us and fill us with your spirit and commission us in the strength of knowing who we are, like we sung this morning. If I know that I'm beloved, if I know I'm a son of God, made in his image, being renewed in the image of Jesus, I will go. Here I am. Send me, we will say, when you fill us in that way. And Lord, we're thankful that in the past you've shown us through Jesus once again that you tore open the heavens, the holy presence of heaven that we were separated from by our sin, and you opened it up for all of us and for all nations. And so we remember this holy week how Jesus entered the city. They laid their cloaks down. They took their coats and they laid them at the feet of the king and said, here, use my coat, Jesus. Lay this down so that your holy feet don't have to come to this sinful earth where sinners dwell. And walk upon the offering. I will lay down the firewood of preparation. I will do my duty. And then the king will roll in. He will flood in. I will set the, the, the kindling wood out and you will fill it with holy fire. And the way they did that when he marched in on the obedience and the praise of the people is, of course, he went to the cross. He came down. He showed us his power. He showed us his face and his glory. And though the father turned his face away from the son, and though he was hidden by our own sin, which was heaped upon his own son, his perfect and holy one, what did God do? He ripped the curtain open when the satisfaction was made and the sin was paid for. He ripped the curtain from top to bottom in the temple of Jerusalem and he, he let his holiness break out and spill into the world. No longer do we have to call the nations to become Jews and through a man, a priest, enter that one holy cubicle, the holy of holies, where a sacrifice would be made. But now the holiness is emanating and breaking out and radiating through us to the world. Spirit, come down. Father, rend the heavens. Open up our hearts, open up our mouths, and through us pour forth praise and holiness and glory for your namesake. That's what we're asking, Lord, that you would move in that way, that you would tear open heaven and tear us open as well. And you say that in verses 4 and 5, that you're the type of God who from 
of old, from centuries of old, have done things that no one could perceive or hear or understand. No eye had ever seen any God like you. No eye had seen a God besides you who acts for those who wait for him. Paul picks this up. As your spirit, Lord, continue to inspire the writers of Scripture, the Apostle Paul picks this up in 2 Corinthians chapters 3 and 4, and he says, this is about the gospel, the good news of Jesus. He says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind conceived the glorious things that Jesus Christ has done and that the Lord has prepared for his people. It's a missions text. It's a text about us being living sacrifices, living letters that the world can read, and it's something unexpected. People aren't expecting this type of God. They're expecting the type of God who does not act on those who wait for him, but who waits for us to act. See, God doesn't just wait for us to pray or to evangelize or to be obedient and then gives the grace and gives the change after we do our part. He's the God that waits on us to act, like a waiter who anticipates your needs. Oh, you need some more water. Would you like another glass of wine? I... I'm seeing a God here who anticipates our needs. And he actually plans and prepares the very prayers we pray. As Isaiah says, Lord, will you ever hear us again and restore us? And God says in Isaiah 65, I was ready to be sought by those who didn't even ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not even seek me. I said, here I am. Here I am to people who could care less. You know, the world cares less about God, just like you and I did before he changed our hearts. They say, I don't need that, Jesus. Don't invite me to Easter service or Good Friday. I don't want this. You're wasting your time. And God's saying to that person, to those types, I'm saying all day long, here I am. That's really awkward. That's really embarrassing, God, that you would put yourself out there like that to these people who don't even want you, and you're just making a fool of yourself saying, here I am, here I am. It's like, why would you do that? Why would you humiliate yourself in that way? Why would you... Die on a cross for a world who doesn't care. That's the type of God he is. That's why he waits for those who joyfully do what is right. He serves those who simply serve him just because that's what we're supposed to do. He's preparing everything we have, our prayers, our service, our faithfulness, because he's so faithful. If God were to wait for us, nothing would ever change. Nothing would ever get done. I'm so glad that he uses us who are so lazy and who are so um, slow to move. He moves for us. He moves in us. And he comes down. Even before we pray the prayer, open the heavens, he's already coming down to make us willing to pray that prayer today. He's a Presbyterian God, amen? No, 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 no. I'm just joking. He's not. He is God and we are Presbyterians because we respond to the grace of God. We respond to the God of grace. And that's why we're Presbyterians. Hardly anybody in my church is a Presbyterian, by the way. They don't know what that is, even. Some of you might not either. That's okay. That's not important. (laughs) Do a surprising work, a work of grace, God. We're asking something that we couldn't comprehend, that our ears have never heard, a God we've never seen. This is the God that we're asking to come and reveal to our very eyes. There was a young man in our church who, just a couple years ago, when we first opened the building, uh, he started coming to the services and to some of the Bible studies and his name is Jared. He's a skateboarder. And I was simply able to impress a group of skateboarders by doing one trick for them. That's all I could do. I couldn't really actually ride the skateboard anymore because I'd lose my balance and break a bone. But I could do one trick still, and that was enough to get about five or six skateboarders into our church. 
And so this guy, though, was the hard case of the group. Most of them were fairly open, but this guy, he literally came in and told me in the beginning of, of our relationship, I think the Bible is crap. That's what he said. I was okay with that. I'm, I'm willing to wait and pray and see what God would do. So I was like, okay, that's fine. You think that? I don't think that, but let's just talk about it. Why do you think that? And we start talking about his relationship with God and his family and his church over the years and how hard it had become for him. And But over the weeks and time, I, I gave some apologetic arguments for why the Bible is accurate and faithful and, you know, surprised him in some ways. He had never heard these arguments before, but that didn't really change him. But over the months, something changed in his heart. It was God working him. And just a few months ago, a group of volunteers came in, and uh, he said to them, this church has changed my life. And you know, more accurately, it was God that's changed his life. Simply through the love of the church and the patience of us just waiting and watching God do his thing, Jared is now uh, faithfully coming to Bible studies and, and asking great questions and being a mini-evangelist at his new school that he's attending. Amen. Yeah, we can say amen. We don't have to wait till the end of the prayer. I know that I said this was a prayer. But you can say it any time in the middle the end, or like Jesus, the beginning of the prayer. Truly, truly, I say to you, Jesus said, amen, amen. Jesus said before he would even begin speaking, because those were the words of ultimate truth. And so amen, that God is changing us, that God is doing surprising things in our midst. And so now we ask, Lord, just as your prophet cried long ago, would you hear our prayers and use us and show us that, that prevenient grace, like the theologians say. Prevenient doesn't mean convenient. Grace isn't convenient. It messes things up. It changes us. It knocks us off our comfort um, dream that we've set out before us. And it, it makes us do things we're rather embarrassed about, like come out of skylights. And, and it, it's not convenient. It's, it's hard. It's messy. It's transformational. But prevenient grace does things before we do things. It says before you obey, before you actually even know how to share the gospel effectively and you're an expert in it, I can still use you. I can still change a sinner's heart and connect you to that person. I can still do things before you become as moral as you want to be and as, as righteous as you want to be. I'm waiting on you, and I will act for you. As you joyfully do what is right, I'm already working in your life, producing the joy, producing the righteousness. Before you ever come to church, before you ever become an elder or a pastor or a faithful husband or wife or a faithful engineer or teacher, I'm preparing with grace a whole path of life for you. I'm, I'm preparing the whole way. Prepare the way for the Lord, we sang this morning. That's what this is about. Grace goes before us. Like Moses who said to God in Exodus 33, don't even send me out. Don't even wake me up in the morning to go back to that job or to face this relationship dilemma that I'm in unless your spirit goes with me. And God says, of course, that's the, the type of God I am. I'm a prevenient, gracious God of preparation. I will send my spirit with you, my people, to go into the wilderness you're not alone. I'm with you. I'm before you. I'm behind you. Before you even prayed, I said I was ready. I was answering. I was preparing everything you needed. Everything you need for life and godliness, it's yours. As we pray with Isaiah in Isaiah 64, verse 15, where is your zeal? Where is your might? Where is the stirring of your inner parts? That's kind of a graphic description of God. God has no body. God is a spirit. But this is a description, a metaphor of God whose inner parts are churning. His bowels are moving. Like when we get nervous to share the gospel in our stomach, that's that pit we feel deep inside, that nervousness. Or you feel guilty because of the sin in your life and you say, I'm not worthy to be a witness to the king, the holy one. I, I've done so many things. 
Who am I that I could speak as an ambassador on his behalf? And, and we feel the churning and the uneasiness about being witnesses or being faithful in certain ways. But God says, my insides are churning for you. My mercy, my compassion, it's welling up. It's hot inside of me. It's ready to come out and help you. You think you've got problems? He says, you don't even know how bad of a sinner you are. But I don't care. Go. I'm going to change you. I'm going to work through you. I'm going to save you and satisfy you in so many ways. This will be the answer to your prayer, that my heart is for you. My spirit is with you. My work, acting on your behalf. But there's something that God clearly has to deal with in us. When he says, you have fears, you have guilt, you have shame. These are real things. These are sins in your life that we have to deal with. If you're going to be a, a witness to me, if you're going to be a, a person who cries out for revival and experiences it, your sin has to be dealt with. There's no way around it. There is something hindering mission, hindering faithfulness, hindering revival. It's, it's sin. And God doesn't wait for us to clean our act up, but he will not revive a church or use people who are caught in sin. He will change them. He will work through the sin and forgive it, but he can't just let sin sit there unattended to stinking up the place. He has to clean up some things. You know, we're not going to become perfect in, by any stretch, but he says, let's deal with that. And that's what the prophet cries out here, Lord. As we begin to pray this, Lord, help us to see the truth that in verse 6, we all have become like one who is unclean. We all are caught in sin, fading like a leaf, brittle, broken, trembling. Our iniquities like the wind sweep us away from stability and from courage and confidence. There's no one who calls on your name, no one who grabs hold of you and rouses you and says, God, like they did to Jesus in the boat on the stormy sea, wake up, Lord, save us. God's not sleeping. It's us that's sleeping. But because we're sleeping, we're not willing to rouse him from his non-sleeping self who never sleeps or slumbers. We're not willing to rouse ourselves and grab hold of him and say, God, save us, change us. But he says, we sit here in the hands of our iniquities melting away. It says we melt in the hands of our iniquities, like putty, just seeping through the fingers of our sins. It just has its way with us. Sin is controlling us, shaping us, draining us. We have no energy for the things of God. We have no passion or love anymore. And yet our hope comes in the very next verse, verse 8. But you are our father. You are the potter, and we are the clay. We are all the work of your hands. There's some Something greater than our sin that has its hands around us. The, the hands of God. The faithful Father. The potter. And we're the clay. And so what we're saying, Lord, is would you show us your presence? Put your hands upon us. Shape us into your image, into your presence. Mold us as you would. Present us to the world as the treasure that we've now become by grace. Like Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, he says, You have this treasure... In what? Jars of clay. You know what a jar of clay is, right? It's, it's a common, ordinary thing. They were used for different things, but some of the jars of clay in ancient Israel were used for using the bathroom in. It was the pot. We're just a pot. We're just a jar of clay. Ordinary, nothing special about us, but you've done something in us, God. You've given us a treasure, a shining, brilliant jewel, the gospel, the, the work of Jesus, changing us, loving us. And that's what we display to the world. It's not ourselves. We're just ordinary. Paul says, who am I to be a minister of the gospel? He says, who is competent in here? Anyone? Raise your hand if you feel competent of these things, Paul says. If you feel competent to go and be a witness to the world in yourself, 
you've got it, what it takes in and of yourself. Paul says, but we have something of value. Jesus, the Spirit of God who came down into us, and now we present that to the world, the life that we have in him. Sin gets in the way. We're just pots. We're ordinary clay vessels. As husbands, you, you can have sin get in the way of your relationship with your wife and your witness to the world could be hindered by that. First Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says, Husbands, don't let your prayers be hindered. So treat your wives with respect and care. Treat them not as a pot, but as a delicate vase, Peter says. Don't let your sins get in the way of your witness to your family and your, your world. And then he says to wives in 1 Peter 3, the, the six verses before, verse 7, he says, Wives, don't think that you can just witness to your non-believing husband with just words. It's got to come out of a heart of genuine love. He says, don't just put on the makeup and the good deeds and the appearance of loving your husband. You have to really love him. And so when your words are joined with beautiful works for him, he will see the beauty of the gospel in you. It won't just be an outward appearance. He'll see the true treasure of the gospel. So our, our prayers can be hindered. Our mission can be hindered by sin, but there's something greater than our sin. Greater is he who is in us than he who is in the world, and you who are in the world, and me who is in the world. That's the promise, and that's what we're praying for, God, is that you would show your glory through us, broken vessels as we are. He says here in chapter 64, the prophet says in verse 6, we've all become like polluted garments. So we, we have this image in our minds when we hear this verse. Many preachers have preached on this before, and you've probably thought of it just like I did for many years, that all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags, right? And what we often think that means is that I can't do anything good enough. It's all tainted with sin, and that's true. All of our righteous acts are always mingled with selfishness and pride, and we can't ever get it quite right. But that's not exactly, I think, what he's emphasizing here. I think if you read the previous verses, it says, God is a God who waits on those who joyfully do what is right. See, God wants us to joyfully do what is right. There are things we do that please God and that are obedient to him. They're never perfect, but I think what he's emphasizing here is that all of our righteous acts that we do cannot be used to cover up the nastiness inside of us. The polluted garment, the filthy rag that he's describing is from the Levitical law when you had a, an oozing sore described in gory detail in the Levitical law code. You know, this sore is oozing and it's runny and you wrap it up in bandages and gauze and you, you cover it up. It's still there. You can't cover something disgusting with something righteous and clean and think that it's just gone away. And it also refers to the menstrual cloth of a woman during her monthly period, how these menstrual cloths would get dirty, obviously. And he says, your righteous acts cannot be used to cover over your filthy acts, your secret shameful things you do, because then it's just all filthy to me. Even the righteous things, it's just a sham. It's a farce. It's a facade. It's a covering. And so we just layer our righteousness, don't we, sometimes? Well, you know, if I go to church and do the right things, then I'll feel better about what's on the inside. And, and God says, no, I want to renew the inside. I want to bring the treasure to you. Just a few years ago when we lived here, there was a lady that uh, was in the neighborhood who was calling on Pastor Craig for some assistance. And, of course, as the new graduate from seminary and the fresh intern at the church, he dragged me along to teach me, you know, what real ministry was like. And so we went into her home, and she said, I've got a, a leaky roof. And there are the pots on the kitchen table catching the drips as they fall down from the roof. What can you do, Pastor? Can you help me? And so we got up on the roof and looked, and we saw what she had done. She would covered the hole in the roof with, first, a tarp. It's a decent idea. But it didn't cover the whole roof. It just covered that hole. 
So, you know, water runs underneath and still gets in. And then it kept leaking, so she covered it with a shower curtain and put some bricks around it to hold it down from the wind. Still leaks, of course. And then she put a door on top of her roof, on top of the plastic and the shower curtain, and it just kept leaking. Layer after layer, she tried to put these good deeds and these good efforts, but it didn't do anything. It just kept dripping and leaking and rotting on the inside. God says, you have to have something much more than your righteous acts to cover your sins. You have to have the righteousness of Christ given to you to take the sin out of you and replace it with the love of a dying Savior who lived for you the life you couldn't live. And that's what our message is to the world. Not, look at me, I'm a good person, I have a happy smile, and everything's fine. We have to say, I'm a broken, ordinary jar of clay. I have to show you my war wounds. I have to roll my sleeve up and show you the injuries of my heart and soul and body. And I have to tell you the vulnerable things that make me look bad so you can see the Savior who looks so good. Because no one's ever going to open up to you and want to be a part of this God that you serve until you're real, until you're broken, until heaven opens and your heart opens and they can see the real you and the real God. Amen? Lord, as we see your work on our behalf, we see your great forgiveness to to strip away the layers and to make us faithful witnesses, real and honest witnesses. We know that you are truly the potter, shaping us, molding us, that as you come into our lives, you're doing amazing things, bringing revival, little by little, person by person, face to face, family by family, you're changing us. And Lord, I admit right now, showing some wounds, that I get discouraged in ministry. I'm sure we all do. I'm sure we all get discouraged every day. The ministry that you're called to, whether it's in school or at the workplace or in the family or in the church, we all get discouraged. And we, we see this text and we say, what would fire look like if it fell from heaven on me? How would change look? I want this, but it just doesn't happen as quickly or as often as I like. And, and I see it happening in fits and starts, coming and going. I, I read stories from Christian history and revivals of the past, and I don't see that happening now. Or I hear stories of India and other places, but I want it for me. Lord, would you revive your works of old and revive me in that way? And I want to encourage you with this closing illustration that has helped me a lot. That As we stand on the shores of Chicago, there's Lake Michigan right there on the, the uh, eastern side of the city. And it's, it's only about a mile and a half from where we live. It's a beautiful place to go uh, during the summers. And, and as we stand on those shores, the, the waves wash in and they wash out. They come and they go. They ebb and they flow. The waves build up momentum and energy, and they, they crash down upon the shore, and then they recede, and they retreat right back to where they came from. And then here they come again, the waves. And that's like revival. It comes, and it goes. God's Spirit pours out in power, and then he kind of settles down to, like, the normal way of life. First, there's manna from heaven, and then there's crops that grow on the land after 40 years. There's amazing, wonderful miracles, and then there's the common, ordinary grace that God gives his people. There's amazing, powerful works of God's Spirit that surprise and amaze us, and then there's the steady, slow work of God's Spirit, almost imperceptibly, under the surface. And that's what the tide is like. It's, it's slow, it's steady, it's rising steadily, marching forward, carrying the very waves of revival. But the, the work of God's providence and His work in history and His redemption, it's sure, it's steady, it's unfailing, it can be trusted. And here it comes, even though it's not as exciting, it's moving along, forward, carrying the entire sea of His redemptive purposes into our lives. And so I want to encourage you, and I encourage myself, as I go back to Chicago, because uh, it was really good to get out of Chicago for a minute. I guarantee it was good to get away for a weekend. Amen? <laughs> Wife? Amen. It's going to be good to go back, too, because we are carried by the grace of God. 
And, and even if I don't feel waves of revival washing over me as I'm driving that 12 hours today to go back to Chicago, I will know that God is faithful. I know that my Father is holding me in his hands. He's holding the church. Faith, Christian fellowship, he's holding you as the potter, carefully shaping you, making you beautiful, putting that treasure inside of you to show the world, the watching world. So be encouraged that when I leave here and go back to Chicago, it's going to be way past dark when I get back. But I'll be encouraged that when the sun sets in Chicago and over Baltimore, the sun will be rising in India, Uzbekistan and Kurdistan and Afghanistan and all these places that God is still working. He's doing his work across the world throughout history in different nations. So when we go to bed at night frustrated or feeling burdened, someone else is waking up carrying on his good work, bearing the torch of the gospel. The tide is still rising. The waves are Going and coming, the tide is still rising. So let's pray to our Father as we close this prayer, doing it by closing our eyes like we normally do, or you can keep them open if you'd like. Raise your hands, kneel down, sit, whatever you prefer. Why don't we stand as we pray this closing prayer over our time together, that God would have his way with us, send his fire upon us, and revive us once again. Father, we're simply asking now, as we've been asking throughout this time, that you would... Show us new displays of proven power from the past. What you've done for so long, so faithfully, through Jesus. That you would keep doing through Jesus and through your spirit in us, your people, the church. That you would not let us get so discouraged that we would fail or faint or fall and not get up. That you would raise us up again. Raise us up like dead bones coming back to life. Raise us up like burned out people who are refreshed and renewed by your spirit to be witnesses in this place. And from our face-to-face -face conversations that we have even now today, help us to be real and present, just as you are present with us. Help us to exhibit your presence to each other and to our neighbors, to go and have real conversations, to actually take those steps of obedience, to lay out that sacrificial wood upon the altar. And like Elijah did before the prophets of Baal, people who didn't care about God, who didn't want to hear about this God, would we be faithful and just lay the wood out, just have the conversations do the little deeds of kindness. Do the little acts of faithfulness. And then would your spirit fall from heaven so that many would say, Yahweh alone is God. Jesus alone is God. To the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. Amen.